How does it feel having the big dog just absolutely destroy your week after you were calling him a fade all week? I mean, you know, it's rough, man. It's rough. It is, it's rough. Put him on the fade list in the in the cash article. Just, just. Oh man, I'm I'm feeling the pain right now. It's pure pain. Pain cast part two. I mean, not for me because I ended up playing Derrick Henry in my cash lineup and in a couple tournament lineups. And when the big dog runs for 212 yards on the ground and then he adds 52 yards through the air on two catches for 266 yards or, or whatever it is and two touchdowns, it's a fantastic day over here. So love the big dog. Absolutely snapped this week. He snapped on you in our redraft league. So <laughs> just it just came around to, to bite you in the ass. I'm not I'm not mad that I lost hundreds and hundreds of dollars in cash games. I'm mad that I had to PayPal you $20 over our Alexander Madison versus Derrick Henry bet after this dude Derrick Henry 10x's Alexander Madison's production. Like bro. <laughs> Literally 10x uh in terms of points. Derrick Henry had 40 what 43 44 and Madison had a solid 4 points on the week. That was a tough scene. Uh, fuck my life. <laughs> what's going on everybody welcome to episode 98 of the dfs dose podcast your fix of daily fantasy sports information strategy and analysis i'm your host ben hover joined as i always am by joey carrion and on today's show We're going to recap the week six NFL slate from a DFS perspective. We will review our personal results, the major slate decision points, and of course, some of the most interesting statistics that came out of the week. But before we do any of that, would you mind telling the people how they can support the podcast? You can support the DFS Dose by following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. That's where we tweet out all of the links to our content and then just some miscellaneous tweets here and there. So make sure you're following us over there. And then if you're not already, make sure you are subscribed to whatever podcast feed you listen on. So Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, whatever one you're using make sure you are subscribed it helps us out a lot then you can subscribe to us on youtube at the dfs dose where ben and myself post weekly videos on cash games and tournaments every single wednesday and friday and then we upload clips from these episodes on there as well just in case you don't want to listen to the full podcast you can go over there and watch a couple of those clips which are two minutes two and a half minutes long max so make sure you're subscribed over there and that's the best way to help support the dfs dose yeah i'm just gonna say man we have a lot more listeners than a hundred and uh we have only 67 subscribers on the youtube channel so we're three episodes away from our 100th episode i'm gonna need you guys to go over there smash that sub button and get us to 100 subscribers before we hit our 100th episode i think that that's a fair goal that's a fact go ahead go over there and subscribe please 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 but Let's get into the review of this week six NFL slate. We'll start as we always do by reviewing the highest owned plays in cash games, reviewing our results and uh, the decision points that led us to the lineups that we played in cash. In terms of the highest owned cash game plays and these ownerships that I'm going to read off come from the massive $25 single entry double up on DraftKings. Running back was no surprise this week. Alexander Madison, 54.5%. Mike Davis, 47.2%. David Montgomery, 44.4%. Miles Gaskins, 33 And Derrick Henry, 
31.3%, pretty uh, ex as expected, I would say, at the running back position. Wide receiver dominated by four main players. Also, as expected, Kenny Galladay, 52.2%. A.J. Brown, 51.1%. Adam Thielen, 45%. Chase Claypool, 35%. And then uh, two main tight ends, the two paydown options that we discussed. Trey Burton at 41.8%. Irv Smith, around 17.5%. Quarterback was mostly consolidated around three guys. Fitzpatrick. The highest owned at 28.7%, Tannehill and Stafford each at about 20%. And the cash line in the massive single entry $25 double up was 142.64. I fell below that line myself, as you could probably tell from the intro. Didn't play Derrick Henry, landed with 138.12, so about four points off there. Joey, how did you do in cash games this week? Yeah, I had a pretty solid week in cash games. Uh, so I uh, went 69 and 6 in my 75 head to heads. Uh, my lineup ended up scoring 157.32 points. So about 15 points over the cash line. So, you know, I can't complain. It was a pretty solid week and made a good profit. So can't ever complain when you catch a W on the week. Yeah. Oh, man. Must be nice. <laughs> and I think where I went wrong and where you went right starts off with the main decision point on this slate, in my opinion. And that was running back construction and how you went about these five running backs. I mean, these five guys, Madison Davis, Montgomery, Gaskin, Henry, they were the only five guys I wrote up in the DFS cash pool article. You know, I think that these were the five guys you should have mm -hmm. been choosing from. And it really didn't matter which of them you played as long as you played Derrick Henry. If you played any of the other two along with Henry, you would have been good, but fading Henry, you know, turned out to be a dire mistake. And, you know, why don't you talk about what made Henry such a priority for you? You were all over him as your favorite out of the three 7K plus guys. You know, I was pretty clear on my position that I thought Madison and Davis were both better plays. Obviously, took a fat L there. Henry dropped over 40 points right on my head. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, talk about why, why you were so on this Henry play. Yeah, so I mean, the big dog, I thought was just a phenomenal play this week at home going up against the defense that has given up the most amount of rushing yards to opposing running backs out of any team so far in the NFL through the first five weeks. And just with Derrick Henry also averaging 26.9 touches per game coming into this game, which ranks number one in the NFL, I felt like it was a priority for me to lock that workload into my lineup as well well as playing Madison and Mike Davis, who I also thought were good plays. But I believe that Henry was the best play out of the three. I, I don't want to get too into it, but I think that Henry is way more talented than those two guys. There was some knocks with Madison that people didn't want to acknowledge. Uh, the Bears defense has actually been playing pretty well to start the season in 2020. So there were some knocks with Mike Davis as well that, you know, maybe we didn't consider. And I thought the only knock on Derrick Henry was his lack of receiving upside. But in my opinion, if you're getting 30 touches, if you come away with two or three catches, I'm taking that all day. Like if you're an absolute freak of nature going up against a defense 
offense that can't stop anybody, I'm going to take that 10 out of 10. And I'm locking in, you know, those 30 touches into my lineup, no matter who you are. And I guess that's just my thought process on the entire situation. I know everybody has their own opinion and people said that he was a bad play and it, it was a fish play and the donkeys got rewarded by Derrick Henry going for 260 yards and two touchdowns. Well, you know what? I say F those guys. Derrick Henry was the best play on the board this week. No cap. You know, the thing is, is that Derrick Henry, I don't think he was a bad play. You know, my stance was never that he was a bad play. I just thought that he was not as good of a play as the other two. And I think that you could definitely make the case that the other two ran extremely poorly, uh, much more poorly than we should have expected. I mean, Mike Davis only getting two receptions, only three targets after averaging over eight targets per game over the past month. And then Alexander Madison, I mean, that's just tough. I guess you were right in terms of maybe we should have looked at some of Madison's measurables and maybe come to the conclusion that he wasn't as safe as we thought. Tough to plan for ahead of time, him getting 11 touches in a full game as a starter after coming off of what, like 20 23 touches yeah. at, at halftime last week coming in for Dalvin Cook and he was clearly a victim of Kirk Cousins throwing three interceptions and them being down from from jump but yeah it, it was bad results but I, I knew that this this was always in the range of outcomes for Henry I guess I guess the other thing to say is that him having less of a game like this where he doesn't get a 94 yard run is also in the range of outcomes mm-hmm. right it's it's the, he obviously hit and that was always in his range i just took the stand that it wouldn't happen this week and it, and it burned me hard but i never thought he was a fish play as much as i was trolling you for it yeah. i mean i wrote him up pretty positively on on the website yeah and i mean i just also believe that henry's floor on a weekly basis is around 20 points just due to his volume and then the matchup made it even better this week so at 7300 I was always going to lock in that uh, workload and opportunity into my lineup and the thing with Madison is definitely wasn't a bad play and it wasn't a bad process but obviously bad results but I think we should have considered the Vikings getting down in this game a possibility because they are also a very bad team just like the Falcons so it could have easily went both ways uh, with the Falcons either getting down big or the Vikings getting down big and there is a history that shows that Kirk Cousins does not target his running backs at a high rate. Uh, Delvin Cook has seven out of his 34 career games with six or more catches so there wasn't like six to eight catch upside there with Madison and, and I know we didn't talk about his measurables on the podcast but we talked about it off the podcast when we were just sitting in discord and I was like you know he he's not that good of an athlete whatever I think Mike Boone is better whatever whatever that doesn't really matter but I think this was always uh in the range of outcomes was Madison not getting a lot of catches the Vikings suck so they get down big and they're not gonna target the running back Kirk Cousins isn't gonna throw to Madison he's gonna throw to Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen so I I thought Madison was good, but I didn't think he was as strong as Henry. Um, And that might be an unpopular opinion for this week or might've been. Something that's pretty hard to quantify in terms of like adding it to projections, but we talked about it, you know, last week or two weeks ago or whatever, when the Texans fired Bill O'Brien is sometimes bad teams rally after firing a cancerous mm-hmm. coach. And we didn't really anticipate that or even discuss it as a possibility with the Falcons after they finally fired Dan Quinn. And maybe that was an oversight as well. I kind of expected them to continue being 
being, you know, a, an extremely underperforming team in this spot. And they rallied, you know, they did. And mm-hmm. that was just something we didn't consider. And that was definitely an oversight as well, considering, you know, that was something that we, you know, baked into Deshaun Watson and the Texans offense in their first game following Bill O'Brien. So something something else to think about. As far as the other two guys, David Montgomery and Miles Gaskin, I mean, Montgomery was quite a bit higher owned, like 11% higher owned than Gaskin and Cash. I mean, to me, Gaskin was the clear better play, higher implied team total, home favorite, whereas Montgomery had like a 22 implied team total with the Bears. He was on the road. He was an underdog. He still had decent production, 13 for 58 on the ground, four for 39 receiving on five targets, but Gaskin did outproduce him. He was cheaper. Did you ever consider either of those two guys or was it really just going to be the three 7K guys for you uh, all along? I considered playing Gaskin and Montgomery, I will say, but I just thought playing those 7K guys and their workloads was the most optimal route for this week uh, but I couldn't fault anybody for paying down to Miles Gaskin uh, at 5400 in a great spot at home against the Jets and he produced with 16.6 points so shout out to Gaskin uh, David Montgomery was definitely worse than Gaskin and I think we can both agree on that as a road underdog with a low implied team total and he's not very athletic so he's never going to provide you a big play with him it was just more volume and matchup and I guess 13 points is bad for a 5.8k player but it didn't really help you if you played them so I, I considered them but didn't really believe it was necessary to play them this week yeah and, and you know speaking of someone else who didn't really help you if you played them my man Matthew Stafford just uh, it, tough. it isn't even like he played badly he just and this was something that I talked about and I and you know I got nervous I'm like I'm a Lions fan maybe I'm just being anti-biased because I've seen the Lions fail so many times but like Stafford getting vultured. The Lions love to run when they get in scoring position. And as favorites, even though I didn't buy the line as them as favorites, they were favored by Vegas. And it made a lot of sense that maybe Stafford wasn't going to be slinging it. And, you know, Swift had two touchdowns. Adrian Peterson had a touchdown. And it turns out that Stafford, who was about 20% owned in cash and, you know, was projected to be the most highly owned guy in at the quarterback position going into the week, just was the worst play that you could have made. Fitzpatrick was a better play. Tannehill was a better play. Cam was a better play. Everybody in that range was a better play. Yet both of us landed on Stafford. You want to talk about why uh, you went, you ended up going with Stafford? I think there was a lapse in, in my process going with Stafford. I had Fitzpatrick in there up until like ten minutes before, but then for some reason I, I just believe that Stafford was a better play than Fitzpatrick uh, against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and we know how bad they are. But I guess it was always a possibility for the Lions to come out and control this game, which I really didn't give them credit for because the Jaguars are a worse team. And really, if you play anybody else in that range, you you smash instead of playing Stafford. Like you said, Fitz, Tannehill, uh, even Kirk Cousins, who ended up with 30 with even throwing three interceptions. Matt Ryan was right there as well, and he scored 34. So it was tough for Stafford, but... Shout out to shout out to Derrick Henry for me because he he <laughs> he saved me with that with that Stafford uh, getting thirteen points. That was tough. Yeah, I mean, I was most disappointed in myself for coming off of Cam Newton in favor of Stafford, even though the three v three that I you know swapped last minute was higher scoring. I mean, Cam with the rushing upside, would he have like seventy yards rushing even in a game where the Patriots didn't perform well at all? 
it's just that rushing floor. Cam was the only guy in that range. I thought that he was the clear best play. The more and more I thought about it, I mean, you brought it up on our preview podcast. And the more I thought about it, like Cam as the only guy in that range with real tangible rushing upside, I think should have been a bigger priority. And he showed it that even in a terrible game for the Patriots offense, he got there with 20 points. So I, I, do wish I had prioritized getting Cam more. I think that he was the best uh, play in that range from a process standpoint. But yeah, I mean, it happens. Stafford, this is like the second week in a row where the quarterback that I played just completely bust despite the offense going off. So I just don't even know what to say as far as that goes. As far as the tight ends, I mean, we were both on it this week. It was pay down week and your boy, Trey Burton. I mean, you were just hitting all over the place this week, but Trey Burton, who you brought up on the podcast, like before it was cool, you know, we recorded that podcast Wednesday night, well before Burton became like the talk of the week. And uh, yeah, I mean, he smashed, he's seven X to salary. Yeah, Burton had a phenomenal day. He had a rushing touchdown. He had a receiving touchdown and he was a good play on Wednesday and then he became an even better play with Mo Alley Cox being ruled out on what Friday I believe it was Mm -hmm. so Burton at 3100 was just an absolute lock in my opinion and I thought he was exponentially better than Irv Smith Jr. uh, for $600 more so it was priority for me to play Burton and you said it was pay down week it's always pay down week at tight end Ben (laughs) we're always going to find a cheap tight end that is running a lot of routes and has the opportunity and it just so happened to be Trey Burton this week and the Colts got down 24 points so it all worked out in the end and he didn't put up a zero like we thought he he was going to uh when we recorded yeah I mean four for 58 and one receiving on five targets plus a nice one for one for one rushing line love to see that but yeah I mean Trey Burton with 21.9 points at 3100 just an absolute smash wish i had gotten in on him more in gpps but you know with playing him in cash and with the high likelihood of a tight end at that price busting got off of him and that ended up being a mistake in terms of my gpp strategy for the week deontay johnson was another player who got ruled out on friday and that instantly pushed chase claypool into cash game consideration borderline lock status was claypool a lock for you once it was announced that deontay johnson would be out this week I don't think he was a lock like how AJ Brown was a lock, but he definitely became more of a priority for me to get my lineup. And with him only being 5,200, everything just fit with him in the lineup. So I was fine with plugging Chase Claypool in, even though, you know, it was kind of chasing points after his four touchdown performance. But they're making it a point to give this man the ball. And he scored another rushing touchdown uh, from what, like the five yard line or whatever it was. So if he is going to see this opportunity on a weekly basis, I think we're going to have to consider him moving forward. And he's just a freak of nature. What is he? 6'4", 6'5", runs a 4'3", and he's looking like he is a fantastic wide receiver and a fantastic pick for the Steelers in the second round. And they just keep on hitting on second round wide receivers. So shout out to Chase Clay pool but man we just we just have to mourn juju i i think i think it's over god i know i think it's over know, but man. we we could we could just leave that for now because yeah i didn't put i didn't put juju in the show notes because it seems like we talk about him every week and i'm just sick yeah. of saying that he's a buy low even though he did run the most routes of any steelers wide receiver <laughs> but 
that that's neither here nor there. I mean, I'm just going to play Juju in at least one lineup every week because it'll happen eventually, <laughs> but might as well just keep burning my money. I mean, this dude, Chase Claypool, though, he came so close, Joey, to just completely busting. So that, that five-yard rushing touchdown or four-yard rushing touchdown or whatever it was came after they went for it on fourth down, you know, in a questionable spot after they were already up. They could have just settled for the points and they went for it, converted with James Conner, got it to like another first down, and then he got it without that rushing touchdown. He only had four targets. So he wasn't like a super rock solid play, it turned out. He just kind of luck boxed into getting another rushing touchdown. But like you said, with the way they're prioritizing getting him the ball, that is, you know, a factor with him. So definitely worth considering. It'll be interesting to see how this dynamic shakes out when Deontay Johnson comes back because for the beginning of the season, the story was how they were forcing Deontay Johnson the ball. So I'm very interested to see how when all three of those guys are there, how that pans out. But we will discuss that when Deontay Johnson is healthy. In terms of some of the other receivers, A.J. Brown, Kenny Galladay, I mean, they performed as expected. Those were the two that you played in cash, right? Yep. Yeah. A.J. Brown, he he had that second touchdown, which, I, you know, I'm not totally sure that was in, but, you know, they ruled mm-hmm. it in. He got it. So good for him. And yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's nice that he was able to still produce even with Derrick Henry scoring, what, 43 DraftKings points? Yeah, 43. Yeah. So A.J. Brown still managed to get there on five for 57 and two. And Kenny Galladay, I mean... Look, this this is a little bit tilting that he just absolutely smashed on six targets. I faded him in cash games in favor of Adam Thielen, which I'll talk about in a minute. But the reason was is I just I could see paths to Kenny Galladay not getting there in terms of targets like some of the other guys in that range, like AJ Brown, like I mean Adam Thielen only had five targets, but how often is that gonna happen? Kenny Galladay has yet to have over eight targets in a single game, despite us all anticipating him coming back after the bye, being healthy, you know, having a larger percent of snaps, and it just didn't happen for him. Only six targets in this spot ran incredibly hot, turning that into four for one oh five for seventeen and a half points. Not a monster game, but you know, if you can get seventeen points on six targets as a receiver, that's that's definitely a good game. Yeah, Kenny Galladay had a fantastic game. And shout out to him for getting over 100 yards on one of the final drives to give him the bonus. Uh, That was really clutch by Kenny Galladay. But you went the route that we have been absolutely just shitting on for the entire season so far. You went for the pay up at wide receiver route and got burned by it once again. So explain to me why you went Adam Thielen over... Uh, Kenny Galladay and some of these other guys in the mid-range. So Galladay, to me, better point per dollar play, but Thielen, I thought his floor was just much higher. He had coming into this game the best market share of air yards, of targets of any wide receiver in the league. I thought that he had the best bet of any wide receiver to score a touchdown with Dalvin Cook out and with the Vikings likely leaning a little more pass-heavy in scoring position, and he did score a touchdown, thankfully, somewhat salvaged, but still a bad game for him. And you know, it was a mistake and I should have just listened to my own advice, listened to our literally advice talk about every <laughs> single week. And I knew that making the play, but I just, I, I don't know why I convinced myself. And part of it, I think was because of the Alexander Madison talk that we had on Saturday where I was just considering, well, maybe Alexander Madison isn't quite as game flow independent as I thought. And if the Vikings get down, having access to Alexander Madison and Adam Thielen in my lineup, I feel like covered my bases completely. It was also a lineup construction issue where I didn't have enough money to get up to Henry as my RB3, so I was in that Gaskin-Montgomery range, and you know I just had like the 1100 going down from Thielen to Galladay 
wasn't enough to really upgrade in a meaningful way unless I wanted to pay up at tight end. I didn't want to do that. Didn't want to pay up at quarterback. So I just settled figuring that Thielen was probably the highest floor wide receiver on the slate. And we can sort of transition here to interesting stats because it's directly related. But, you know, Thielen, who had been the most dominant, you know, wide receiver in terms of target share in the league coming into the week, just got smoked by Justin Jefferson this week, who put up nine for 166 and two on 11 targets. I mean, you tell me that Kirk Cousins throws three interceptions and the Vikings are trailing the entire game going super pass happy and Adam Thielen ends with five targets. I mean, how often is that going to happen? Just the ultimate run bad. I mean, truthfully, I'm more upset with Adam Thielen running poorly than Alexander Madison because I think it's just that it's more incredible in my opinion that, that it panned out that way. But Justin Jefferson, Joey, on 11 targets, 9-166 for two, three 100-yard games in his first six NFL games, two games over 160 yards. Is he the best wide receiver in the 2020 rookie class? Uh, He's definitely not the best, but he is a good wide receiver. Um, I I would still rather have cd lamb over justin jefferson i'd rather have jerry judy over justin jefferson but it was a good it was a good landing spot for jefferson as we could see he has immediately stepped in to the wide receiver two role and with the vikings being a bad team and having to be in a comeback mode in a lot of these games that's going to benefit the vikings wide receivers like you said adam thielen kind of uh just didn't produce today and had no targets basically had five Uh, But he took a backseat to Justin Jefferson. And I mean, just from a tournament perspective, Adam Thielen ended up being 27% in the millionaire maker and Justin Jefferson was 13%. So you could still make a great play with Justin Jefferson, who was in the same and phenomenal matchup and has seen targets every single week in the Vikings offense for half the ownership. So that's what we talk about when it comes to tournaments. Like you could just make natural leverage plays. And Justin Jefferson was a clear leverage play off of Adam Thielen chalk. And he absolutely smashed with 42 points and was in every single tournament winning lineup. And, you know, I had a lot of shares of Jefferson this week, so that helped. But yeah, I mean, just Justin Jefferson absolutely smashing. He he looks good. He got there. Kirk Cousins got there, but Kirk Cousins, Joey, this man is terrible. He is a god-awful quarterback, as you would say. This dude had 29.72 fantasy points this week, 343 passing yards, three touchdowns, two two-point conversions, but that was purely game script. He played horribly today. Yeah, Kirk Cousins is not a good quarterback by any means, and it was by the grace of God himself that he ended up with <laughs> almost 30 points uh, after throwing three interceptions to start out uh, his day. So shout out to Kirk Cousins for being an absolute terrible quarterback, and it doesn't really hurt Thielen or Jefferson stock, in my opinion, with him being so bad, because obviously we see that he can still get his wide receivers there, but Kirk Cousins is is just not a good quarterback and they should look to uh replace him in the near future absolutely i mean if anything kirk cousins you know terribleness really is impactful of the running backs because as we saw today he can just single-handedly put them in a position where they're going to get game scripted out just with terrible decision making and that's what we saw today but an example of great decision making was joey's call on deandre swift You know, Mm -hmm. I was skeptical of it, but I came around to it as the week developed. And I mean, Joe, you called this, so I'll let you handle it. DeAndre Swift with the 30 points on DraftKings this week. Shout out to DeAndre Swift. Absolutely snapped. He was in the Millionaire Maker winner's lineup. 
uh, at 4% owned. I thought he was going to be around 1%, but I saw some people on Twitter come around to the idea of playing DeAndre Swift. I like to think that I was the first person to call it on Wednesday night. Uh, so shout out to me, but you know, I'm not one of those guys that has 25,000 followers on Twitter, so I can't go and brag about it. Uh, but, but 30 points absolutely smashed in. I just, uh, thought that the Lions were going to make the transition sooner or later and they ended up doing it in this matchup. I mean, AP still had some touches, but I believe that they want to get Swift more involved. And like I mentioned on the preview episode, his floor uh, is pretty decent. He hadn't scored under 10 points in any game besides one up to this point. And then we saw that he has, you know, like a 30 point ceiling in this Lions offense. And he got there with basically having no catches. Would he have like two or three catches in this game uh, with them being up like 20 points the entire matchup? So DeAndre Swift, shout out, shout out to me. He was my favorite tournament long shot and ended up uh, winning somebody a million dollars. So you love to see it. Man, DeAndre Swift, he looks so good. And he's just so, he just offers something to this Lions offense that they don't have in this uh, annoying committee backfield. AP still saw 15 touches today. And, you know, Adrian Peterson, as critical as I am of them even giving him work, he doesn't look terrible. I'll give it, I'll give it up to him. He doesn't look terrible, but he is really only good for sort of short yardage situations. He doesn't have the burst that he used to. And when you saw DeAndre Swift break off that like 54 yard run or whatever it was, just it was invigorating. Carry on Johnson after damaged ankles or whatever he's got going on doesn't have that burst either. It's just really great to see DeAndre Swift had 14 attempts for 116 yards and two touchdowns, and he is a receiving threat. Had three receptions for seven yards, and yeah, over 11 points in four out of his five games with a defined ceiling now. If his role continues to grow, he's going to be a legitimate fantasy asset for the rest of 2020. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And you could probably still buy low on him even after this blow up performance. You could probably still get him for for the low if you make the right offer to the right person. Yeah, definitely in redrafts, I would target trying to trade for DeAndre Swift. So Joey, this was a big day for the dusty wide receivers. This is kind of your bag. These are the guys that you like, especially Julio. That's your boy. But uh, Julio... 8 for 137 and 2 on 10 targets. AJ Green, 8 for 96 on 11 targets. I mean, big day, big day for the Dusty duo. Is this a trend or a trap? Can these guys sustain or was this just sort of like a one-week abnormality? I mean, I don't think it's a trap for Julio because I still believe that he is a dominant wide receiver in the NFL. He's just been hampered by injuries the last couple of weeks but he ended up getting taken off the injury report completely. And I mean, I mentioned it in our Discord chat, which, you know, we might be announcing something about that in the coming week on Twitter. So make sure you're following us over there. But we were talking about Julio and I'm like, this is a spot where you want to play Julio. He's coming off an injury. Nobody's going to play him and he's in a phenomenal matchup and he's still, you know, the lead or the one B on the Falcons uh, wide receiver core. So Julio was a smash play. I played him in like 50% of my lineups. So I ended up uh, getting him at low ownership and he smashed AJ Green on the other hand he was 3900 and saw 11 targets 8 for 96 and uh, I think I think AJ Green is a trap I think that he doesn't want to be on the Bengals anymore but he had a phenomenal 
game. So shout out to him. And and who knows, maybe he'll turn the page after an abysmal uh, first month of the NFL. But I don't think he will. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to just go out on a limb and say they're both traps. Julio Jones definitely. Well, you're a Julio hater. No, no, you are a Julio Jones hater. He has had two. How? great performances to start the season so far and he's had an injury you are a julio jones hater it's a it's a simple fact of life you've been (laughs) hating on him for the last three years and you've been proven wrong every single year i mean it depends on who you ask i mean (laughs) never julio is a pretty loud subsection of fantasy twitter you know julio jones was in equally a good of a spot like what like two weeks ago a week ago against the packers at 6k on the two game slate Oh, everybody has to play Julio. Dude plays like half a quarter. Then he goes. That's out. because that's everybody played him. His range. That's that's because everybody played him. That's fair. So Julio, to me, he's got to be like fifty percent dust at this point. I think AJ Green is pushing eighty percent dust. <laughs> it was a good game, but this might be the best game that he has for the duration of the remainder of his career. T. Higgins still outperformed him in this spot, which was, you know, quietly an interesting stat of the day in and of itself caught six of his eight targets for a season high 125 yards on the Bengals. I think T. Higgins is legit and, you know, similar to how Calvin Ridley, in my opinion, overtook Julio as the wide receiver when I think T. Higgins is overtaking A.J. Green and that gap will just continue to separate more so on the Higgins versus uh, AJ Green side compared to Julio, because you know at least Julio still has something left in the tank. Yeah, T Higgins is definitely the wide receiver to own in Cincinnati. Uh, Tyler Boyd had a quiet day though, but it's it's the Tyler Boyd and T Higgins show, and I would much rather have T Higgins. I think he has more upside than Tyler Boyd, and he's shown that to start the year so far. So I like T Higgins and AJ Green. Yeah, he he might be eighty five percent dust at this moment in time you know somebody who's not dust somebody who's the exact opposite of dust unless we're talking about like dust from like diamonds or something and that's that's darius slayton aka godius as listeners of the podcast would know him as and this you know he had a decent game today not it wasn't anything impressive did have a touchdown but i just had to put him into the the interesting stats section because i thought it was really interesting when i read that he is you know the sole reason that the giants have any passing touchdowns this year the giants have three passing touchdowns and slayton has caught all three and it just makes me makes me mourn the fact that he is attached to daniel jones i just wonder what darius slayton would be doing if he was in a better offense right now Yeah, he would absolutely be on fire if he was on a different team, um, not not on this trash Giants offense that really has nothing to offer at this point in time. But I mean, he scored a touchdown, like you said, and had a solid day, only 12 points, uh, which which is tough. But it's encouraging to see him get these touchdowns and be the main guy in the red zone for the Giants. Three passing touchdowns in six weeks. How do you do that? Yeah, I don't know. I'd have more if I was a quarterback. Yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> Put, putting it on for the flag football team, aren't you? <laughs> nah, I'm a wide receiver, not a quarterback. Oh, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. But, I mean. So, you're the you're the godiest uh, of your team. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, from that same game, Terry McLaurin, F1. Similar to Godius, it was a decent game. Nothing amazing. Had 7 for 74 on an encouraging 12 targets. But the reason that I want to bring Terry McLaurin up is that I think, in my opinion, he is the number one buy low in terms of redraft fantasy. Wherever you can get him, honestly, I would be making a concerted 
effort to acquire Terry McLaurin in fantasy because while the production hasn't been there, he's suffered multiple quarterback changes. He himself is in an anemic offense. I think that he's going to be able to overcome that because he's extremely talented. He's getting the targets. And this schedule, Joey, coming out of their bye, but after that, the wide receiver schedule that McLaurin faces, Dallas twice, Detroit, Cincinnati, the Steelers, who were bottom five against wide receiver, Seattle, the worst team in the NFL against receiver, Carolina. I mean, Terry McLaurin is going to be an absolute league winner in fantasy for 2020. Yeah, Terry McLaurin absolutely is a an incredible buy low right now. And it was encouraging to see the uh, Washington football team throw the ball 42 times. I know that they've been trying to kind of establish run over the last couple of weeks, but they decided to air it out in this matchup. And Terry McLaurin had 12 targets. And I think we have to throw a shout out to Logan Thomas, the official tight end of the DFS dose. Um, three catches for 42 yards and a touchdown. And maybe his stock might come up a little bit uh, after this this matchup. So maybe uh, Logan Thomas is also a guy that you want to go and see if he's still on your waiver wire in your fantasy leagues. But yeah, Terry McLaurin is one of the best young wide receivers in the NFL. The second best wide receiver in the 2019 class behind, obviously, Godius. And definitely target him as a buy low in Dynasty and in redraft leagues. I agree with that wholeheartedly last thing before we get out of here do you have any opinions about this uh packers game that just ended a little while ago i mean they put up 10 points in the first quarter and then zero 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 for the second third and fourth quarter i mean is there something wrong with this packers offense or is the bucks defense just that good (laughs) i mean i think it's a combination of both i wouldn't say there's really something wrong with the packers offense i i think they have talented players Rodgers is playing phenomenal. They have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. I think David Bakhtiari, them missing him in this game definitely hurt. Uh, He left the game with a chest injury. And not to mention the Packers' first four games came against very subpar teams besides the Saints maybe. Uh, They beat the Vikings, Lions, and Falcons. So they come into Tampa Bay and play a formidable Tampa Bay team with a solid defense and a great pass rush, and they get absolutely pummeled. Their uh, schedule does lighten up, so I would target the Packers' skill position players as well. You know, I don't really have any concern for the Green Bay offense moving forward. I think that They'll struggle against good defenses here and there, but it, it's still Rodgers, and I and I like the Packers' offense. And just looking forward to next week, I don't care what Aaron Jones' price is, auto lock against the Texans. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, man. I didn't know that was that was a thing. But, yeah, that's, that's a stone-cold lock. But <laughs> we'll talk about that on the – week seven preview podcast which will be out on thursday that is the next time you will hear from us and yeah thank you guys for listening do appreciate it we will be back like i said on thursday to preview the entire week seven slate make sure you subscribe to the youtube channel trying to hit 100 before our 100th episode only three episodes away and you can subscribe to the podcast on any and all podcast platforms apple spotify soundcloud stitcher Wherever you listen to podcasts, we are there. Great way to keep in touch with us is via Twitter at the DFS Dose. And you can also follow our personal Twitters. I am at Ben Hover, B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R. 
Joey, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at JoeyCarryandDFS. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and we will be back on Thursday.